Hi everybody, welcome to another edition of Prime Time, which is our podcast where we speak with some of the luminaries in the industry. And I'm really excited to have today with me Ignacio Mas, one of the most well-known people in the global community on mobile money. Welcome Ignacio. Thank you very much. So Ignacio is based out of Spain, but really travels around the world and has been involved from the very, very early days of M-Pesa in Kenya, studying it more as a researcher as well as you know working with the regulators and so on. So given the demonetization and the focus in India on digital payments specifically, I would love for you to talk to us about what you've seen in Kenya, what you've seen in other parts of the world, and then we'll come down to you know similarities and differences in India and where we go from here. Great. So let's start with that. You know, your background a little bit, you know, you're not a banker, you're not a payments person, but you've got into this space over the last 10 years and you know you're deeply engulfed in it. I'd love to hear a little about your background, how you got into this space. I consider myself a generalist who loves getting into detail. And I think that's a fairly unusual combination. Basically, I like doing different things. So at the beginning of my career, I was more of an academic researcher. Then I got into public policy with the World Bank on financial sector development. Then I got into the private sector, telecoms and technology with Intel Capital and Vodafone. So once I had all these perspectives, where I thought it all came together is technology for financial services. And that is specifically the inclusion angle. I thought all these perspectives would come together and that's how I got into it. Lucky that I got into it at the right time in the right place. Great. And the right time and the right place was sort of around the time that M-Pesa came out. In, exactly. In Kenya. So tell us about how that came about and your experiences working very closely with the team there and studying that space. Yeah, they didn't work very closely with the team. But basically, all of a sudden we heard before M-Pesa, the road was littered with corpses of digital payments companies, if you remember those days. And so M-Pesa was a big shock that someone could actually make this work. So that got a lot of attention. And I was lucky to be one of the first researchers who actually tried to get under the hood and figure out how it worked. And so that's how I got started. M-Pesa model, I think, is very interesting for two reasons. One is it opened up a new source of profitability for financial services at the base of the pyramid, which is payments, and in particular, in their case, remote payments which we didn't really know that existed, that willingness to pay was there, insufficient volume. Mm-hmm. The other thing I find remarkable at Mpesa is I have a sense that they got everything figured out from day one. Everything about the way it was designed to me was really insightful. And it's amazing to me how many people are not even learning those basic lessons, which Mpesa got right at the beginning. So what were some of those things that you felt they really got right? Well, I think first and foremost, they understood that this was about a retail network with a digital network attached, mm-hmm. whereas most people approach it the other way around. I have this digital money transfer platform and I need a retail outlets as well. They understood it was all about the outlets because the digital part was the easy one. But then how they did all the branding around the outlets to create trust, I think was very interesting. And basically just to make it very short, they did not standardize storefront signage. And that's what helped create the sense of vibrancy. Every shop seemed to shout more than the other mm-hmm. for M-Pesa. Mm-hmm. But then once you walk inside the store, you make a choice of which store you go into. At that point, you standardize everything inside the store, which is different to what most people do. Mm-hmm. They insist on standardizing the signage outside the store and then just don't get a sense of vibrancy because everybody has exactly the same presentation. Interesting. This is just an example. Yep. So I think the M-Pesa you know, is wonderful to see a company get it so right without the benefit of precursors. But it's not a model that I would really recommend very much. It's a model that I call the superhero model of digital money, which is essentially having one player take such a bold stab at acting at all the levels of the value chain. At the retail level, which is about economies of density, at the network level, which is all about economies of scale, at the product level, which is all about economies of scope. You know, it's such a diverse set of skills that you need. And to expect all of that to come together in one place is very rare. Right. So it's, the, it's what I call the superhero model. It's great if you have one, but it's just not a good to have in many places. 
So those are the two problems. First, the probability of this working in other countries is extremely low, that someone will play that superhero role. The only other superheroes emerge really as Bcash in Bangladesh. But then you have the other problem is once you have a superhero, taming that beast is extremely difficult. You know, I don't think you can control it best anymore in terms of trying to bring back interoperability and level playing field and so on. It's just too far gone. So right. it's not a model that I think is the right one, despite the fact that it was really useful to inspire all of us to try to do it right. So that's an interesting segue actually into you know, what India has tried to do. Right from the very early days, we've always insisted on interoperability and a certain level of standardization wherever appropriate. And while it's taken time, we're now starting to see, hopefully at least the new generation of companies will be more successful with model payments. And of course with UPI, the banking industry has put together a framework that is you know truly interoperable. And then of course we have Paytm and Mobiquake and the wallet companies also that are taking a big chunk of it. So tell us your views on the framework that we have in India around Aadhaar and India Stack and going towards true mobile payments and how do you compare it to what you've seen elsewhere? Yeah, it's a really interesting model. Most other developing countries that I know of, interoperability is seen as a next generation issue. Let's get it off the ground first. Let's get it working. And then we'll figure out. The problem, as I said before, with the given business, by the time it took off, it's just too difficult to bring back interoperability. So this idea of putting interoperability at the core, at the beginning, as a foundational principle and not a next generation, is very interesting. Because it'll long-term lead to better outcome for the market, but also because the competition to the digital money players is not each other, it's cash. The legacy payment system is interoperable. Cash works everywhere. So how can you try to compete with a universal physical cash cloud with a smattering of much smaller digital clouds that don't talk to each other. Customers look at that mess of clouds that don't talk to each other and say, you know, why would I ever want to do that? Why would I want to leave some money parked in all these different clouds just to have the privilege to participate in them? It doesn't make any sense to me. So this idea that the only way to really take on cash is by presenting a unified digital cloud, I think is very important. Of course, that presents a challenge, which is, interoperability, you can mandate it, you can build all the public goods infrastructure, which the government of India and all the different agencies has been doing very deliberately and very well. But then the question is, what's going to be the supply response to the land? And I frankly think the jury is still out in India. I think there's a little bit over optimism in terms of, of the goods are already here. No, the promise is fantastic. We still need to see the goods. And you know, the biggest story in the last couple of years is Paytm. Well, Paytm in my analysis, doesn't touch India stack at all. It's completely parallel to the story of India stack. It's actually the superhero model. Mm -hmm. I think they will have good reasons to be much more aligned with India stack, and in particular, as it become a payments bank with the KYC requirements, will force them to be much more aligned with all of that. So, you know, the supply response is still yet to be seen, but, you know, the promise is there. Right. So when we chatted, you talked about digitizing payments, which has sort of been the first generation of thinking. Uh, but you had a slightly more nuanced view of really digitizing payments is very different from digitizing money, right? Do you share, you know, to our listeners some of your thoughts on, you know, why that's so and why it's so important to think about digitizing money first rather than just about digitizing payments? Right. So in Europe and US and developed markets, first they convinced us to digitize our money. Stick it into a bank account. It's there in digital format. Once they convince you of that, then they started presenting different digital payment options. Since your money is digital, would you like to have this card so that you can transact electronically? Fantastic. Well, why wouldn't I want to pay in the form of money that I have, which is digital, and then a mobile app, etc., etc.? So once you digitize money, digitizing payments is easy because basically the distinction is money is stationary. Payment is when money is moving. Mm -hmm. So that works well. In developing countries in general, we're playing their game backwards. 
We're digitizing payments, money on the move, but not in a stationary state. Mm -hmm. And the way this plays out in daily reality is that all digital payments, as far as I can tell, start and end in cash. In cash, you cash in, the money gets sent, and then you cash out. So in that world, you digitize the payment but not digitize money. So once the payment is done, once money is not moving anymore, you're back to cash. That is the fundamental problem. Why is that a problem? First, because if you're long cash, you will not have a natural preference for paying electronically. You will only want to cash in to make payments for which cash really is very bad, and that's remote payments. Mm -hmm. Paying a bill, sending money home. But in people's daily lives, those are very few transactions. Right. Two, three a month. So that behavior of putting everything on the grounds of remote payments works only if you have a huge customer base. You're the superhero. You have the monopoly of people doing very few transactions that's enough of a business case, but everybody else can make that work. And the second problem of all transactions starting and ending in cash, it's just too expensive to go through the cash in and cash out process. So my belief is that we need to give a value proposition to the account mm -hmm. that is beyond a sheer convenience of making payments. People do not choose how to store a value based on what is the easiest way to spend that money. And the proof of that is, if that was the case, then people would not save their money in jewels and cows and other things that are monstrously lousy payment instruments. <laughs> so money has two functions, store value, means of payment. You need to have a value proposition addressing both functions of money. You cannot expect people to find value in payments and then inertially from there find value in the storage of value. So switching gears a little bit and coming back to the India story, right? We talk about with UPI in particular, right? It's sort of very unique in that we have created sort of an interoperable platform at multiple levels, right? It's not just that I can move money from any account to any account. I can actually use any bank's app to move money from my bank account, which might not, I mean, I may not be using my bank's uh, application, right? And it suddenly now creates an interesting opportunity for the challenger banks to potentially come up with a better, you know, mobile application or one in my local language or just have a, you know, bigger icons because my eyesight isn't very good and target consumers in a very different way. And while they may not be in the store of funds, they will be in the flow of funds. And that potentially can help them to upsell me and things like that or, you know, just offer me better interest and give me one click, you know, transfer of money. We are pretty excited about this model be interesting to get your thoughts from a practical perspective. Will people just go back to using their own bank's application or do you really see this creating this game deal explosion that we think is going to happen? I think it can unleash the kind of innovation that I think we need to solve the problem that I was talking about, which is there is a value proposition for payments, but not for storage of value. Mm -hmm. And the reason why is because what's missing on the storage of value is not a better savings account. There's not that many ways to do savings. So we don't need a better savings box, a digital vessel. Mm -hmm. What we need is a manageability layer on your different pots of money, which is the thing that makes me feel like I'm in control because all discipline around money is based on money separation. Money's having different purposes, having different meanings, having different emotional connotations, having different stories. So what we're lacking is that user interface that allows me to feel like this dollar is not like any other dollar because this dollar is for certain kind of things. Mm -hmm. That's friction. The opposite of payments. Payments is all about flow. Every mm -hmm. dollar being like every other dollar, fast, 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 one click, go. Right. So how can you expect the same account to both friction and flow at the same time? You cannot. So what I hope UPI will do is separate the business of offering basic financial services, whether it's a loan, credit, insurance, payments, and create something on top which is much more a reflection of people's psychology that makes all of this 
intuitive to people. So that now I feel in control. I know why I have different types of money and I now play the game of living my life, which is fundamentally not about managing money, it's about managing money gaps. Because the help that I need from financial institutions is not, please help me manage the money that I have. That's fairly easy. The need I have is help me manage the money that I don't have, but I know I'll need. And that's going to be a combination of ways that make me want to build up that balance by December 15th so I can pay the school fees. And if I fall short, you're going to be trusting me based on a relationship. So I'm hoping that through UPI, you separate the financial products, which are very pigeonhole savings, credit insurance, and you create something on top, which is basically the gap management function. So, so that's very interesting, right? So one could conceivably have one store of funds but use multiple applications to transact through with that store of funds because those applications are tuned for that particular use case. Yeah. Right. So it's not even that I might just use say an HDFC bank application to manage my account or because I like their app for all my transactions. I may use them for a certain category of transactions, but I may go back to my ICIC bank app or my Yes Bank app for different transactions. We're used to the bank basically building in those frictions and not yes. and selling frictions to us. I don't think the bank should play any role in creating my frictions. I should be, is the principle of the internet, right? Push intelligence to the edge of the network. So the frictions that I build for myself should be a deal between me and my app. And they need not be residing in any core banking system. So the bank is there right. to make sure that the funds are there and has to authorize every transaction because I cannot spend more than I have, mm -hmm. but I can be playing games through my app, so I myself am locking out myself out from certain types of monies because this doesn't justify this purpose. And so I believe that the app is going to have a lot of the intelligence that now is baked into core banking systems. But frankly, I mean, that's the history of the internet. And that's actually the potential in theory of cryptocurrencies, right? Keep the center dumb and push all the intelligence to the app player. Right. And you know, if you combine some of the, you know, obviously the bigger things like smartphone penetration and stuff, you know, data which are going through the roof in India, and UPI itself is just but one of the various components of India's stack, you know, starting with Aadhaar and EKYC, Sign, DigiLocker, and, and also the consent framework. Now, all of a sudden, there are a lot of things that happen with this framework, right? One of which is switching costs go down, right? So somebody could offer me a point product and I can, you know, immediately open an account and soon you're going to have iris-enabled smartphones to do even the biometric EKYC by looking at my phone. Until now, banks have been used to holding on to their customers and there's just been so much of friction that even if my bank's product is going to be delayed by six months and sort of average, I'll just stick on to the same bank. So on the one hand, you have people who have been unbanked, underbanked, who are like barely getting into the system. And on the other hand, you have this tremendous flexibility. So it would be good to hear your thoughts on where should one focus on in terms of an opportunity if you're, say, an entrepreneur trying to make something in the space. Right. I think the fundamental problem in digitizing people's money, by people I mean the mass market informal majority, is an innovation problem. We keep doing the same thing over and over again in more fragmented ways, in highly productized ways. I always say that we have a disease in our industry and I call it productitis. <laughs> the idea that if only I'm clever enough, I could potentially design the savings product that makes you finally want to save. It's never going to work like that. I think we need to move away from products and put tools at the center. Give me the tools that make me feel more in control of how I make my own financial decisions. Basic things like sending money. Send money not only over space, but over time and so on. So I think we need to turn this into a tool-centric with then a user interface that allows me in very intuitive ways figure out how to use those tools. 
But you know, again, that's the internet, that's Facebook. Right. Very few tools embedded within it, but manageability of those tools that makes it feel like it's my Facebook and my user experience is different to yours. I think that's what we want. So we need innovation and we need to open up the space to more players because innovation comes from competition. But competition is not just a matter of more banks. What we need is not competition between more banks. What we need is more competition between different business models. And so that's why we need to open up the space. UPI, in theory, presents that opportunity. But you know, as long as UPI is a service that only can be accessed through banks, it's like you built an innovation layer but excluded the innovators from it. So I think that's something that needs to be addressed. For the moment, I think we've tried to address it by allowing innovators to partner with the banks. And that's probably a good first step anyways, but... Well, it uh, seems like in India, there are some banks that are keen yes. to, to innovate, so that's a good situation to be in. I wouldn't expect that situation to be there in every country. Right, right. The, time, the, hard, time will the, tell, the hard instinct is very strong in banking, reinforced by regulation, which is based on benchmarking, right? As soon as you deviate from, from the bunch, you are standing out for regulatory scrutiny. So there's many reasons why innovation is not you know, the friend of the banker. And it's not necessarily because you're a banker. It's just the incentives are there. Right. So if you were to come back here, I mean, you're most welcome to come to India as frequently as possible. But let's say you show up here again three years from now, right? What would you hope has happened in this industry? And with the foundation that we have laid right now, right, we're already excited about the starting point. And you know, there seems to be a lot of support from the government perspective. There's also a fundamental belief that this is strategically important for the country, right? So what do you think is possible and you know, what are some of the gaps today to make that happen? Right. Um, so definitely we want to see players taking full advantage of the India stack within three years. But exactly what does that mean? I would say that the nature of the competition for digital financial services shifts from a product-based competition, from a geography-based competition, which is what it's traditionally been, to a usability, user interface competition. I have a better product than you because my services are much more intuitive to people. They connect with people's psychology. They allow people to do what they've always done just in a better way. Mm. So in that way, that's how you get customers on board. So I think that's what needs to happen. That understand that the core limitation today to digitizing money as opposed to payments, payments is about convenience. Digitizing money is not about convenience. Mm -hmm. It's about frictions. Frictions in a way that respond to my psychology that doesn't feel like an arbitrary imposition. You create an account and then tell me I can only withdraw on Fridays. I'm going to think it's an arbitrary rule that you just said. The account is called a Sunrise account and it turns out I can only withdraw on Fridays. It makes no sense. But what if I could send money to Fridays? It's my Friday money. You front door the friction. Mm -hmm. At that point, it's not an arbitrary position anymore. It makes complete sense because I do want Friday money because that's when I go out with my friends and celebrate for the week or that's when I pay my wage to buy my country. So that's an example of how the user interface, the job of the user interface is not to simplify things, which is what we always talk about. It's to connect with people's intuition. So those are the bridges that I hope we start building to people's intuitions over the next few years. And I cannot imagine a better basis for doing that than the India stack. Awesome. I think that's fascinating. We're really you know, excited. So really hope you're going to be actively involved with the Indian industry. And I'm sure we're going to see a lot of exciting things happen out here. So once again, thanks for coming out here and spending time. And I'd love to stay in touch. Thank you. Thank you. If I can put in my own plug here. The purpose for this visit that I'm here is part of this new Digital Frontier Institute, which I've set up with a couple of colleagues. We are creating online programs for professionals to learn more about the sector. 
the core idea is to turn people who happen to work in payments, because I happen to be hired as an agent network manager for company X, to feel like I'm a professional. And that change from being a worker to professional, for me, means having a much broader understanding of the end-to-end context in which you're working. You understand how the other parts of your business connect to what you're doing and how the ecosystem as a whole is connecting. So we offer a course on digital money and the purpose that I'm here is to develop a course specifically on what's happening in India because it's a very interesting story and one that the whole world is watching. Great. Really look forward to seeing the course come out and hopefully a lot of our listeners will be the first to sign up for it. Thanks, Ignacio. Thank you.